0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from markfiore.com, Counterspin, The Majority Report, Comedian Lee Camp, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Bugle, The Young Turks, The Progressive, The Colbert Report, and The Matt Philipovich Show with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show.
1: Dog Boys! Yes, Mr. Dan! Where have you been? Oh, I've been at the Occupy Wall Street protest. Don't you mean Occupy Hippie Nostalgia?
2: No, I'm positive it was called Occupy Wall Street. I saw signs.
1: Those people have way too much time on their hands.
2: I know, Mr. Dan. They tell me that's what happens when you're unemployed.
1: Don't you know the CEOs you're protesting are paid to create jobs?
2: Oh, so they must be creating 300 times as many jobs as they did in the 70s, right?
1: Well, not exactly, because they're getting taxed to death by the government.
2: You mean their taxes that are the lowest they've been in 30 years?
1: Stop doing that, dog boy. No, that's not what I mean.
2: Oh, okay. I don't know, Mr. Dan.
1: What do you mean, then? I mean, you should be thanking Wall Street for all the great things it does for America.
2: Like building bridges, businesses, and lasting examples of productivity? Well, no. Nowadays,
1: see, the business of Wall Street is more, um, intangible. It's what they're best at. That's what you should thank them for.
2: Oh, like thank you for intangible derivatives, Wall Street. Yes. And thank you for credit default swaps. Yes,
1: now you're getting it, dog boy.
2: And thank you for dark pools of liquidity. Those are really intangible.
1: Yes, of course. Thank
2: you for the most concentrated wealth and income in 70 years. Yes, well, no. And thank you for vaporizing trillions of dollars and millions of jobs. No, no. Because it's brought us all closer together. No. Thank you, Mr. Dan. What for? Dog boy? For all this, nothing. (laughs) Comradery is intangible. Friendship is intangible. Happiness, community, love is intangible. Mr. Dan? Oh, you're not looking very tangible yourself.
3: By most accounts, the police crackdown on the Occupy Oakland encampment on October 25th was severe. Tear gas flashbang grenades, and beanbags were fired at protesters. And some protesters exhibited bruising from what they claimed were rubber bullets fired by police when they attempted to reclaim their encampment. In the most serious injury of an Occupy protester so far, Scott Thomas Olson, a 24-year-old Iraq veteran, had his skull fractured when he was struck by a tear gas canister during the Tuesday night events. The injury left Olson in critical condition. Reading about these events in the nation's capital, though, you got a different impression. The Washington Post, which has experience in minimizing the Wall Street protests, ran a short AP dispatch about events in Oakland under the headline, Protesters Wearing Out Their Welcome Nationwide. And the photo the Post chose to run with the AP story? A police officer bending over to pet a cat with a caption explaining that the animal had been left behind by protesters evicted from the city park.
4: Washington Post columnist Richard Cohen decided to pay a visit to Liberty Plaza for a firsthand view of the festival of anti-Semitism at Occupy Wall Street. He found none, and he declared that fact on October 24th, writing, quote, I circled the place, encountering nothing and no one to suggest bigotry. Not a sign, not a book, and not even the guy who some weeks ago held up a placard with the instruction to Google the phrase, Zionists control Wall Street, Close quote. Cohen says right-wing attempts to smear the Occupy movement for anti-Semitism are reprehensible. But it turns out that's just a setup to his smearing them with a bunch of other stuff. Like slogans, he says, quote, "...suggest a tired socialism that is as repugnant to me as the felonious capitalism that produced the mortgage bubble and the impoverishment of millions of Americans." Close quote. Cohen calls Occupy Wall Street, quote, a tourist attraction with the usual vendors, the usual Zoftish young women doing the usual arrhythmic dance, somehow missing the beat of many drums, close quote. It's a media event that has captured the flea thoughts of many Americans and it's Quote, above all, a conspiracy to have left-leaning writers make jackasses of themselves by imparting grave and grand meaning to what is little more than a vast sleepover. Close quote. Finally, for good measure, Cohen tosses in the idea that the right-wing smears of the Occupy movement are themselves the fault of the left, because such smears originate in the, quote, devious tactics of the old left, adopted by the new right, close quote. And that's no accident because the, quote, practitioners are the descendants of lefties, close quote. So, anti-Semitic? No. Clueless, repugnant, silly, chubby, something about fleas and themselves to blame for being called anti-Semitic? Yes. I see
5: problems down the line.
6: Well, let me, let me, let me read this, the, one of the, the one of the final paragraphs of your piece, because I think it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's prescriptive and, uh, in some ways it's, uh, it was uh, prophetic. Uh, what is needed is a new paradigm of disrespect for the banker, the financier, the one percenter, a new civic space in which he is openly reviled, in which spoiled eggs and rotten vegetables are tossed at every turning. What is needed is a revival of the language of vigorous old progressivism. Wherein the parasite class was denounced as such. What is needed is a new resistance. We face, as Hessel describes, a system of social control that offers nothing but mass consumption as a prospect for our youth, that trumpets contempt for the least powerful in society, that offers only outrageous competition of against, all against all. To create is to resist, uh, writes Hessel, to resist is to create. And then your final paragraph. Such creativity, alas, is unlikely in new york uh and you go on to say the city is regressing, this sparks no protest from its people and uh, literally, I think as you uh probably sent this in to um uh, Orion magazine or maybe a couple of weeks before uh or after you sent it in uh we get uh occupy wall street uh.
7: I eat my words, man. Well,
6: listen, you know, it's a a huge piece, uh, and uh, the only thing that I think is inaccurate uh, and may have been uh, unpredictable was that last paragraph where uh, you thought it would be unlikely to see this rise up. What what do you think, uh, what accounts for that? I mean, both... Uh, your uh, lack of optimism to see any type of revolt, and the fact that w- we are seeing now at least to, to some degree uh, a a a growing and uh, 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 aggressive and strong uh, rebel uh, rebellion against this
7: yeah well like I said you know I wrote the first i completed the first draft of that article with with more or less that kind of Dark and rather despairing ending. Uh, I completed it, you know, more almost a year ago. So, you know, it, it's uh, it, man. I mean, you see New York. You see what New York is all about. You know, we've got a lot of a lot of young people here who are just obsessed with uh, with playing the game, with serving the corporate master, with making money, with being you know be, being the the uh, you know, getting the big bucks and, and, um and being part of, uh, of the system, if you will. And so, you know, New York does not, today, New York does not in or at least as I, you know, as a New York, until, uh, until the, the eruption at Zuccotti Park, New York was not a place that w- was, inspiring in terms of uh alternative cultures or or of uh of uh inspiring for for people to to rise up and establish themselves against uh against the corporatocracy, you know, this kind of, I mean this this town is run by corporatocracy, it's owned by corporatocracy, it's the its very nature is corporatocracy. So there well, you go
6: in your piece um, you get into the the history of uh, essentially the the last great i guess uh... populist movement uh... that took place uh, that that essentially grew i guess in the uh... in the late eighties um, just to walk us through some of that history um, uh... because i think uh... you use it as an example uh you know, a, a call to arms at that time and as sort of a paradigm from which uh people could follow.
7: Right. Now we're talking about the eighteen eighties here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the in there's a section of the article in which I, I discussed the um the candidacy for mayor of uh, a guy named Henry George. And Henry George was a um you know, he was a visionary. He, he felt that uh, capitalism—that the real problem with capitalism was that, you know, we had um, we had given to those who did not do their fair share of uh, work, we had given to them all sorts of outrageous remuneration, and uh, uh, <coughs> uh, in particular, he looked at uh those people who owned a lot of land and speculated on land and could and could make uh what he called economic rent uh and um, you know he basically said all right we've got a lot of rentier rentiers in our society people making money without doing productive labor so how do you fix this well you 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 change the laws so that you get rid of the rentiers and so that people have to actually work for a living. Now, today in New York, and one of the great crises that we face in our society is that we in the United States are top heavy with rentiers and rentiers being the finance class, the finance class who apparently do nothing. <laughs> they are socially useless as, uh, as a great piece in the, the New Yorker concluded, a piece by John Cassidy they, they don't do anything and yet they get paid enormous sums of money and they suck away enormous uh, sums from society and they draw off incredible amounts of economic rent so <clears throat> in the Orion piece I drew this parallel back to, uh, back to Henry George in the 1880s in which, you know, he, he basically as uh, running for mayor, he drew, uh, a, a enormous, uh, wide-ranging ecumenical following of, uh, you know, of lower class, middle class people of, uh, of all races <clears throat> and professions, Um who basically said, "No, we no longer want to be ruled by the rentiers, by what what you know, what pro- progresses back then called the parasites. The parasites are running things today. The parasitic class, the hedge funder, the financier, the Wall Streeter, the one percenter—they are running things. And you know, I think it's it's high time too that that you know the progressive movement." today embrace that old muscular language of progressivism that a guy like henry george back in the 1880s used you know talking about the the hedge funder and the wall streeter as a parasite because these are parasites they're they're blood sucking vampires they're ticks fattening themselves on uh, on society and uh, well, something has to be done man
6: and uh, in in the follow up piece that you had uh, to the reign of the one percenters, in a, in, a, in a brief uh, post on on Orion, you you talk uh, more about the um, uh, the pop, populist movement uh, of the eighteen nineties. Um, uh, tell us about uh, the populists um, and uh, what they what they basically carried that uh, that message, but they 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 transferred that message into pol- uh, to not just um, uh, protests, but into political power.
7: Right. Now, you know, Henry George could be considered one of the first populists, but it wasn't until the rise of the People's Party of 1892, which became known as the Populist Party, that you really had a nationwide movement that demanded a... Uh, it demanded a transformation of law in favor of the working men, what were then called the productive classes, against the parasite classes. Uh, now the, the populace, you know, arose out of the, it was an agrarian movement, it was a movement of farmers from the Midwest, basically said that they no longer wanted to be exploited by, uh, monopoly bankers and, uh, railroad owners who were controlling, uh, Railroad transport rates and controlling the systems of credit uh, <clears throat> and impoverishing these productive classes, these farmers uh, who could not survive in the marketplace so um, you know they they envisioned all sorts of things that 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 required decades gen- a whole generation two generations to be realized now, they they uh, a minimum wage, uh, an eight hour a day. Um, they wanted to nationalize the railroads, nationalize the telegraph services. They wanted to create a uh, they wanted to create a, a bank, a people's bank that would regulate money on behalf of the public interest. They wanted to uh, create all sorts of social security protections. Now a good number of these populist ideas first floated in the 1890s were later put into effect by FDR in uh, 19, in 1934 and thereafter so the populist so the, the the comparison that can be drawn today to the the uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement is it it may take 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years for a movement to actually affect real change in this country. It may be a multi-generational affair, just as it was a multi-generational affair with the populace arising in the 1890s, but not seeing their platform fully, you know, partially implemented uh, until the 1930s.
8: I hear a lot from right-wingers, whether it be a friend of mine, or Herman Cain, or mum Ra, something I hear is, why don't protesters stop complaining and just work hard? I believe in hard work. Why don't people just shut up and work hard? And here's the thing they seem to be overlooking. These people are working hard. Most Americans are working really fucking hard. There's a lot of hard-working janitors and teachers, nurses and cashiers, secretaries and fluffers, librarians and sheet metal cutters, sound technicians and lab technicians, blackjack dealers and drug dealers, bodega rat chasers and cake bakers, cable repairmen, naval airmen, and wax-your-back hair men. And every one of them is working really fucking hard. And most aren't making much money and aren't living easy- lives. Hard work only equals hundreds of thousands of dollars in a few select professions. The point is we, as a wealthy country, should have a society where if you work hard in any profession, you can have a happy life. We have the resources. They're all right here in front of us. So I don't care if you have the worst job in the world. I don't care if your job is cleaning turds out of the corner of the turd factory. If you work full time, you should be able to afford to feed and clothe your kids. First of all, The moral thing to do And secondly With the size of our kids None of us want to see them Half clothed None of us want to see A fucking Ten year old boy's Tits bouncing down, up and down on a sweaty summer day. Can't we get together as a country and buy that boy some pasties? You know, a set of shiny new nipple tassels. And I realize Bill O'Reilly would call them socialist nipple tassels, but who gives a shit? I'd rather have socialist nipple tassels than a capitalist boy boobs in my face. Wouldn't you? And that's what the Occupy movement is about. Kinda. Occupy Wall Street's not saying people shouldn't work. It's saying if people work hard in whatever profession they choose, the game shouldn't be rigged against them so that their pension is circumcised a year before they retire in order to give the CEO a bigger, thicker, longer-lasting bonus. Enough with the enormous, throbbing bonuses. They're unseemly. All right? Have you
2: had enough Have you had enough? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Have you had enough of the rubber stamps? Have you had enough
9: the wire Have you had
2: enough? Then it's time to throw the rascals
9: out.
2: You know we've let them take the test too long. They got all the answers wrong. No plan, no shade, no oversight.
10: Now's the time to put it right.
6: You know uh, when you look at the the history of the populist movement and that time that it took. Uh, and, and essentially the the, um, uh, it, the the time that it took for their policies to be at least partially adopted, and the need in some ways for the great Depression to open up uh, to sort of like uh, be the final i guess uh, the the final uh straw that broke the camel 's back in some ways what we 're experiencing over the past thirty or thirty five years has been uh the the same model but used by the right and reactionary forces uh, insofar as you had things like the American Legislative Exchange Council, which has been developing um, uh, legislation to take advantage of moments like these you 've been hearing a drumbeat of um, of the austerity class that has been talking for years about cutting social security, about um, uh, reducing uh, the deficit on the backs of middle class people, and they have used this uh, economic um, uh, this recession. Uh, this near depression, if you want, that we're experiencing now, um, to, to ram those policies through. In other words, they've had 30 years to sort of build the infrastructure and develop the uh, intellectual underpinnings for these things, and they're using this as that opportunity. Um, do, you, do you think that, uh, that we're in danger of actually uh, moving in the opposite direction in the, in the short term? from where the progressives uh... from where uh, a we might want to go
7: yeah i mean there there is a chance that we could go we could go far um, far in the direction of of really junking the productions that have been that were established by uh... fdr and the, under the new deal and there's a chance that that could happen i mean it would Provoke, though such austerity in this country would provoke just uh, and It would provoke a quasi-revolution. I mean, if you <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people depend on Medicare and Medicaid. A lot of people depend on Social Security. There are a lot of people depend on these basic social safety nets. We junk them. You will have mobs and riots on your hands. And yes, we are at the far end of a thirty year experiment by the right wing to dismantle these protections, to destroy uh the regulations, set so up what few regulations we have in this country to to rein in and prevent uh corporations from from their their predatory uh um, predilections. We're at yeah we're at a, a, a very pe- peculiar and dangerous moment I think in American history which
6: do you think the, do you think the right has the ability and the uh, the one percenters for a, uh, lack of a better term have the ability uh, to uh, to to see. To see the implications of austerity at this time. I mean, you know, um, it, it, it's small, it's small bore stuff, I mean, at this point, but, you know, we have uh, the Senate will continue and has already taken uh, votes to uh, provide some measure of small stimulus and some uh, jobs programs, some relief to the states. On the on the backs of millionaires uh and uh you know, a tax increase that would amount to literally ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on people who are making millions of dollars a year uh and it cannot get passed. Do you think that the right now has even the capacity to be aware of how destabilizing uh austerity measures uh, would be at this time?
7: Yeah, I think they do. I think I think the right wing the very rich realize what's going on. I mean, listen, in the depression, you know, FDR was uh, faced in 1934, 35, he was faced with gigantic industrial strikes and riots and social unrest which led him to pass the Social Security Act which is basically a lot of the reforms so-called reforms of the 1930s were really half measures i mean they were not the full implementation of that old populist vision they were half measures passed by a guy like fdr who was a rich man part of the rich class who was basically saying all right i got fdr says to himself all right man i got to save capitalism <laughs> how do i do it all right i'm going to throw some crumbs to the people who are screaming in the streets so he throws some crumbs and creates, you know, a kind of system that you know works to help out the poor and the middle classes. So you know, today I don't know if we have anybody who has that vision. It seems like you know the the rich maybe really see their power so entrenched that that you know that the the unrest is not even worthy of their attention. I mean, look at the. Quote unquote unrest that is, that's been unfolding so far, it compared to the 1930s, it amounts to nothing. I mean, it's not, we're not talking about gigantic industrial strikes that are shutting down whole seaports, whole industries, whole parts of the country. No. We're talking about, you know, okay, an occupation in a couple of city squares in a dozen cities. And, uh in march for example on October march is October 5th or October 15th that draw 20 25,000 people not 400,000 people not a a bonus army uh, descending on uh, on Washington DC not you know not gigantic uh uh hoovervilles so do you think you we know, have the
6: capacity to see something like that i mean is that is that something do you think that could happen
7: Well I think, you know what, I think it it has to happen. If there's really going to be change in this country, we need massive, massive social disruption. We need, we need people, for example, we need a student loan strike where students organize together and they just stop paying their, stop paying their loans. Say to hell with the banks. Organize a hundred thousand students together and just stop paying their loans. How about a mortgage strike? Where you get a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million homeowners together as a class, and they just refuse to pay their mortgages? Just that's it. Not going to pay it. What are you going to do? Uh, we need to have a kind of disruptions where you have transit strikes, shut down all of New York City. That will change things. A sanitation strike in New York. Stop collecting the garbage. Huh. You know what happens in New York you stop collecting the garbage I mean right. rats and pestilence and nightmare unfolds very quickly, so you know these kinds of things if we're really organized if I mean we being the ninety nine percent these kinds of things could happen I mean I don 't foresee them actually happening i 'm sort of speaking here from. In a kind of dream world, a quixotic vision of of things as they should be, not as they are, alas.
11: If you got a problem, don't care what it is.
8: You need a
12: hand? I can assure you this: I can help. I got two strong arms.
6: I can help. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown. Or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left, like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby. Comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo. Filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker. And on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm.
8: You know how I feel about it.
12: A few years after the end of World War I, Congress passed a law saying that veterans of that war were entitled to a bonus for their service. In 1924, Congress said American veterans of the First World War had earned a bonus of $1,000. But here's the catch. It could not be paid for about 20 more years. They couldn't collect it until 1945, or uh, or their families could collect it upon their death if that came before 1945. Well, along the way, the country fell into the Great Depression. Americans were starving to death. They were on bread lines, and the veterans who knew that $1,000 was owed to them by the government decide that they would much rather collect that now please that money was owed to them they had earned it and they needed it to feed their families now so in the spring of 1932 in the middle of the Great Depression the veterans marched into Washington because they wanted payment of that bonus they had earned in World War One they were called the Bonus Army the Bonus Army set up as an encampment in Washington DC tens of thousands of people in a living political protest History tells us that they kept their instant city clean. They integrated their camp racially, which was really quite radical at the time. We know that they grew gardens for food. They settled in for as long as it might take to make their point to Congress and to then President Herbert Hoover. At least that's what the Bonus Army hoped. The head of the U.S. Army, General Douglas MacArthur, looked out at the peaceful protest of those veterans camping out and saw an embarrassment for his commander in chief. MacArthur mustered troops on horseback against the veterans' camp and followed those horses with tanks. The destruction began.
13: Then troops began to set fire to their wooden shacks. One reporter wrote, The blaze was so big it lit the whole sky. A nightmare come to life. The president looked out a window of the White House in the direction of the fire, then retired for the night.
8: And the roaring flames sound the death knell to the fantastic bonus army that ends so disastrously in the shadow of the capital of the United States of America.
12: Two U.S. veterans were killed that day, uh, but the movement grew. What does not kill you makes you stronger, they say. News of the raid, the first footage of what had happened, reached Americans in movie houses on newsreels that they used to show in theaters before the main feature. As Frank Rich describes in New York Magazine this week, when Americans saw those newsreels of MacArthur's army destroying the veterans' protest camp, Americans applauded the bonus army. They cheered for the bonus army. They booed General MacArthur. Yesterday, these images began to reach Americans. It's the police in Oakland, California, breaking up the Occupy Wall Street protest. there, Occupy Oakland. Part of the Occupy Wall Street movement is uh, for economic justice. This one in California. The police moved in with batons swinging. They tore down tents and smashed signs. They sent tear gas grenades into the crowd. The cops are also alleged to have fired rubber bullets, something they are denying, despite injuries to protesters that look like they were caused by rubber bullets. The police admit to firing beanbag rounds, though. Frankly, when you look at the footage of this, it rather looked and sounded like a small war. Washington, D.C., 1932, the raid on the Bonus Army. Oakland, California, 2011, the raid on Occupy Oakland, Occupy Wall Street. Two American scenes separated by almost a century, but put the old one in color, throw on some plaid shirts, and you almost could not tell them apart. In his story this week in New York Magazine, Frank Rich tells the story of the Bonus Army and of Occupy Wall Street. He titles it, quote, The Class War Has Begun.
13: You can't take your money with you down. Down, down the jam When this war's over, we can get away You won't find the love that you lost Down, down, down the jam
14: Protest update now, and uh, Andy, if companies manufacturing tear gas have ever thought about floating themselves on the stock market, <laughs> now might be the time. It is a boom economy in every sense of the word, but it's not just uh, it's not just tanks firing into civilians in Syria, and it's not just police shooting Occupy Oakland protesters in California with rubber bullets. All over the world, people are standing up and calling bullshit wherever <laughs> they see bullshit. Bolivia news. And a group of uh, indigenous Amazonians reached La Paz uh, last week to a triumphant welcome. Uh, the two month march was made by a thousand men, women, and children campaigning against plans to build a road through a rainforest reserve. And if that sounds like uh, a lovely trip, you know, something an 18 year old student on a gap year might attempt and come back with beautiful photographs and ethnic beads that they insist on wearing for the next three years, then think again. <laughs> Because during their eight weeks on the road, protesters were blocked and then dispersed by riot police using batons and tear gas, scenes which provoked an outcry across Bolivia. So much so that two ministers resigned... Amid the outrage. And Andy, has there ever been a good end to firing tear gas canisters at <laughs> people? I usually find that people covered in tear gas are quite a lot angrier than people not covered in tear gas. In fact, I'll go so far as to say there's a mathematical correlation between tear gas coverage and fury.
5: That's just such a shame it took you a whole Edinburgh run
14: to work that out. <laughs> The Bolivian president, Evo Morales, is under increasing pressure as his poll numbers have plunged. In fact, about 45% of voters spoiled their ballot papers in uh, last Sunday's election for top judges, which was a key policy of Evo Morales. 45%, Andy. That's an impressive turnout of people so angry that they want to officially register that anger by explicitly not engaging in a process that they're actively engaging in. I tell you what. President Morales should do, Andy, to calm that 45% of people down, tear gas them,
5: Andy. (laughs) I know it hasn't worked so far, but statistically it has to happen eventually. There have also been major protests in Chile, the biggest for decades in that needlessly long and thin country, and people have been demanding free public education. And I would say this to the protesters of Chile, do not wish for that. That is, in fact, the last thing you want. Do not find out about the world. It will only upset you. And besides, (laughs) there's no point learning it. There won't be any jobs. There won't be any jobs after you've been educated. Why raise the Hindenburg of hope? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that is a bleak sentence. Bit of a slow burner. (laughs) 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 Too soon. Too soon. soon. Were you actually on that airship, John? Were you actually (laughs) on that airship? Don't be offended on other people's behalf, John. So how
14: I wonder Andy did uh, the police respond to these protests in Chile I'll give you a quiz was it A with flowers B with a gift plate of assorted deli meats or C with tear gas and with tear gas and a water cannon chaser <laughs> Do you know what, Andy? I'll tell you, they're responding with tear gas and water cannons really? to disperse the crowds, yeah. And if we're concerned about future world water shortages, which it seems we are, we might want to stop turning water cannons on groups of peaceful protesters as well. Truth is, Chile just never seems united unless they've got trapped miners underground. In fact, if I was the Chilean president, I'd be burying those plucky little miners again as quickly as possible. <laughs> and get that live feed set up so we can pull them out in those little one man torpedo cages again. Chi chi lay! le lay, le Oh that was great. What are we angry about again?
5: The latest from the Occupy London protest now and St Paul has resigned. In a (laughs) tearful statement, the five-time former Epistle Writer of the Year said, with great regrets, that I've decided I can no longer continue as a saint. My epistles have, I'm afraid, failed to provide an adequate solution to all the world's economic problems in the last few weeks, and therefore, I must step down. The cathedral will, until a permanent replacement is appointed, be temporarily named after the little-known St Alvin.
14: It is amazing the controversy that they've caused uh, the protesters in London. They've been camped outside St Paul's, uh, where they've managed to cause this controversy with their entirely peaceful behaviour. Now, any idiot can make the news by throwing a brick through a window, Andy, but can you make the news by sitting quietly outside a tent? <laughs> That's the real test. The cathedral claimed that they were losing £20,000 a day during its closure. How, Andy? How the holy f- can they make 20,000 a day through tourism? How much are people
5: putting into those donation buckets? And how mu- it's the most profitable <laughs> business in the UK. And how much is, is that bishop showing? He must, <laughs> I mean, he's got to be fleshing a lot of flesh to get that amount of money from his visitors. But it's, there's been a. It's kind of interesting following this that, um, you know, as we talked about last week, Boris Johnson said the protesters have made their points. And they've been criticised as well, the protesters, for not coming up with a, a proper alternative, as if mm. that is their responsibility. And it <laughs> sort of seems to have come down to a, this kind of black and white debate between should we keep all capitalism or will we have no capitalism at all? And I don't really like my economics like that, John. I like my economics... Like a prison refurbishment officer likes his paint catalogues, with plenty of shades of (laughs) grey. I hope you enjoyed this
0: show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So, if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able. As anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot button issues we face, maintaining a rock solid schedule. So, if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
15: We've often been talking about uh, the dissatisfaction with government, and it's because people are tired of it and they get it. They get it in their gut. That their politicians don't represent them, their representatives actually represent their donors. Well, new New York Times CBS News poll that shows exactly that concern. You know what congressional approval is at now? 9%. Wow. I've never seen that number that low in my entire life because nobody's ever seen it that low. It's a new record. To give you a sense of how disastrous that is, during the revolution, Madison said about a third of the people were on the side of the revolutionaries, a third were neutral, and a third wanted to stay with the British crown. So, more than three times as many people believed in staying with King George at the time of the revolution than now believe our government works, our Congress works, that they think our Congress is doing well. Nine percent approval. Uh, How much has congressional uh, disapproval gone up in the last year? Twenty-two percent. More and more disapproval. This Congress is not working. It's certainly not working for us. It might be working for other people, but it ain't us. Now, um, do you trust the government? More stunning numbers. 89% say they do not trust the government. 74% say we're on the wrong track, and another 84% disapprove of Congress. Huge, unbelievable numbers. Okay, so what's part of the problem? The problem is congress doesn 't listen to us, so what are we saying? Are we concerned about income inequality? Absolutely. Look at these numbers. Democrats say ninety percent of them are concerned with income inequality sixty six percent of independents do, and Republicans are you know drinking the uh, Rush Limbaugh, Kool-Aid saying no income inequality rocks, okay? But even for them 33% is a pretty solid number. But look, Obama and the Democrats are always theoretically obsessed with independence. There they are, 2 thirds of independents saying we have too much income inequality in this country. Now will Congress listen? Well, of course not. They'll do the exact opposite of what people actually want. Because it isn't about appealing to independence, it's about appealing to donors. So let's dive further into the numbers and show you how much uh the American people are dissatisfied with the current state of affairs and how they won't get their way. Uh how many are in favor of a more even distribution of wealth? Two-thirds. How many are in favor of that in Congress? Far, far less. Uh how about tax cuts for corporations? Which is what is being discussed right now. Whether it's the repatriation tax holiday that they're talking about, almost every Republican candidate has a plan to reduce taxes on corporations, and a lot of Democrats in Congress say that's a good idea. Two thirds of the American people oppose it. No more tax cuts for corporations. We've had enough. They've gotten all the advantages. Will two thirds of the American people be listened to? Of course not. How about increasing taxes on millionaires? How many what percentage of Americans believe that? Again, two thirds. They supported. Are we going to get increased taxes on millionaires? Very, very unlikely because we don't have a democracy. They don't represent us, they represent those millionaires. All right, how about support for lowering corporate tax rates, which is what Congress is obsessed with doing and they might do in the super committee? That number is as low as 25%. Do you get it? Don't lower corporate taxes, which is exactly what they're going to do. how about repealing Obamacare? I hear for John Boehner and all those guys all the time about, oh, the American people uh, don't want Obamacare, so-called Obamacare. What's the number of people who actually want to repealed? twenty five percent. Only a quarter of the country. But who cares what they think the Republicans are running. Straight ahead. At least on that one, the Democrats aren't joining them for obvious reasons. On all the other ones where the rich get richer, the Democrats usually do join them in that effort. Uh, Now, have the American people gotten wind of the fact that the Republicans only represent the rich? Thank God, at least they understand that. Seven out of ten saying that Republicans in Congress obviously favor the rich. That is a devastating number for Republicans if they care about winning general elections. The only advantage the Republicans have is that the rest of the country thinks the Democrats are almost as bad. Could you imagine if the Democrats just switched a little bit and actually fought for the middle class, how easily they would rout the Republicans who have such great disapproval numbers? But of course, the Democrats are hooked on the same money. They're like, oh, God, I'd love to get those votes, but Goldman Sachs, what do you want me to do? Yeah, clear out some occupiers? Great, I'll do that for you. All right. Uh, hey, speaking of the occupiers, what is the American people's view of that? Because we hear so much about the Tea Party. What a big movement in it is. So popular. And everybody better watch out because the Tea Party's coming. and so relevant. The Occupy kids are hippies. So that's what the, see, if the press is reporting that, well, then obviously that's what the American people must think. Except for the fact that when you actually ask them, only 27% support the Tea Party, 46% support Occupy Wall Street. You like apples? I like them apples. Those are the real numbers and the real views of the American people. So when you see polls that say, oh, if you ask somebody, hey, are you a conservative or liberal, uh, conservative uh, wins out. Those are just labels. When you ask them, what is your actual policy position? They are, well, quite literally, about two thirds progressive, all across the board. Tax millionaires, stop cutting corporate taxes. Uh, and in fact, it's not in this poll, but we showed it to you in other polls. Cut defense spending, tremendous waste in defense spending, 84% saying don't cut Social Security, uh, over 70% saying don't cut Medicare. But will anybody actually listen to us? Unfortunately, the answer is no, because the donors control everything. Hence the reason why we started a Wolf Pack. Wolf-pack.com. I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying. It's enough. Enough is enough of them coming for us. We got to go after them.
7: There's never been a time, there's
2: never been a time as fucked up as this.
7: As fucked up as this.
2: I
13: Oh, how I wish Howard Zinn had been alive this year to see his prophecy come true, first in the Arab Spring, and oh, how I wish he could have seen the worker uprising in Wisconsin and then the Occupy Wall Street movement take hold in the U.S. and around the world. As the great historian once said, you never know what spark is going to really result in a conflagration. You have to do things, do things, do things. You have to light that match, light that match, light that match, not knowing how often it's going to sputter and go out and at what point it's going to take hold. He wouldn't have been surprised at all by Occupy Wall Street because he pinpointed what he called the core problem, that there's immense wealth available, enough to care for the urgent needs of everyone on earth, but this wealth is being monopolized by a small number of individuals. This is a problem, he said, understood by people everywhere with supreme clarity. They all know, he said, that the world is run by the rich. It's not for nothing that Howard Zinn's books are among the most popular at the Occupy Library in Zuccotti Park. His people's history has come to life before our eyes. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
11: Folks, it is a dark day in America. Our way of life is under attack from the youth Stapo over at Pie Wall Street. <laughs> Trademarked. We knew they were completely aimless and unfocused. Now we know they're violent. On Tuesday in Oakland, California, protesters threw rocks and bottles at police, forcing the cops to respond with their own improvised weapons. Tear gas canisters, flash grenades, and beanbag guns. Beanbag guns, really? Beanbags? That's nothing more than a high-velocity hacky sack. You're playing right into the protesters' hands and feet. Now, tragically, folks, one of the protesters injured was an actual American. Iraqi war vet, Scott Olson, was hit in the head with a tear gas canister and when protesters rushed to his aid, police tossed a flash grenade into the group and Olson's skull was fractured. Olson is in the hospital now awaiting brain surgery and we wish him well. But folks, while this footage right here may be shocking, I believe yesterday's Washington Post gave the full story with this picture of an Oakland policeman petting a kitten. making the point that while Oakland's finest may have shattered a veteran's skull they're also capable of police cutality also trademarked now folks I believe in the constitution I'm not saying you don't have the right to peacefully assemble I'm just saying the police have the right to disassemble you into pieces and the headline here sums up the situation perfectly protesters wearing out welcome nationwide yeah protesters you're wearing out your welcome you're like the one dude at 2 a.m. still sitting on America's couch the pity party is over go home so Wall Street can continue their party we're gonna snort the ground-up bones of the poor it's good Frankly, frankly, the whole country is sick of Occupy Wall Street particularly that part of the country that has cable news shows.
2: After weeks of
4: putting up with a bunch of stuff,
2: cities across the country now cracking down more on the Occupy Wall Street protests. Is this a sign that the movement's days could be coming to an end? A
11: lot of cities uh, like Atlanta, like Oakland, even now like New York City are saying, you know, we've really had enough of this. This has this gone for a very long
8: time. Some municipalities and cities are saying, you know what? To enough. Enough, enough the waste, protests, enough. Uh, the cost
11: is of- fungus. Yeah! <laughs> If Wall Street wants fungus, we'll have our chef shave a little white truffle on our risotto bianco. Look, you had your moment in the sun, protesters, and your moment in the rain and the wind and the cold. But we are bored with you now. You're just a media fad, like Sanjaya. Or Balloon Boy. Or Balloon Sanjaya. Worst Macy's Parade ever. Besides, Occupy Wall Street worked. Today the Dow was up 340 Dow points. Financial system fixed. Thank you. Now go occupy something else. There must be some injustice happening somewhere. What does... Oh, did you hear that? I think somebody's testing lipstick on a dolphin. Quick, go occupy the ocean.
16: I am sure you saw that uh, Occupy Oakland uh, got insanely ugly yesterday uh, with with scenes of, of, of just uh, flatly horrific police violence. Uh, we're going to be talking with Susie Cagle about that in just a bit later on. Uh, a man named Scott Olson, uh, who is a, a Marine, uh, who is one of the protesters, was shot in the head by police. Uh, with what is most likely uh, a tear gas canister uh he was shot in the head with this canister and uh the police have fractured this young man's skull uh the video of it is 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 horrific it's it's sickening um after this after this young man who who survived <laughs> who survived two tours in Iraq uh after he gets 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 hit in the head he goes down uh, people around him rush to help him. Uh, a bunch of people, a small group surround them and they try to help him. They scream for a medic. Uh, they're surrounding him. They're trying to give this, 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 this man medical care. And when that happens, uh, when these people are trying to help this down, this down man, the police, the police then throw a flash grenade into the crowd, into this group that was trying to help this young man whose skull has been fractured. Uh, currently, currently Scott Olson is currently in critical condition. Uh, he was placed in a medically induced coma uh, to help with the swelling of his brain. Um, I don't know. I, what the hell can you say here, everybody? What can you say about this? Um, look, mayors and police departments across the country... Have turned their own cities, by choice, into war zones, against their fellow citizens, against peaceful protesters, who are doing nothing but exercising their First Amendment rights to free speech and assembly. Um, Matt Iglesias of Think Progress tweeted uh, that the treatment by police of the Oakland protesters of of gassing them because they're 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 gassing them, they're shooting rubber bullets, but but gassing them, uh, he wrote. Uh, that if we gassed foreign soldiers you know of uh, foreign armies if we gassed them it would be against international law it would actually be a war crime to do that it's against international law to use chemical agents against foreign armies but but apparently apparently it's perfectly fine if we gas our own citizens who are peacefully sitting in a park it's fine to, 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 to do these this 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 thing that's against international law for people who are sitting in a park. My friend David Waldman from Daily Coes wrote, uh the next time I hear about how vets fight to protect our rights, I'll remember the one they shot in the head for actually ex- exercising them. Um look, again, what can you say with these type of tactics? Uh, uh, when, these, when, these ta- when these taxes were used against uprisings in the Arab Spring, the State Department, President Obama, conservatives, liberals, Democrats, Republicans, they all friggin' said, they all came out and said, this is horrible. They were outraged and they were correct to be outraged. But where the hell are they now? Where are they now? Where the hell is the media now? At yesterday's White House press briefing, not one reporter, not one single solitary reporter asked a question about the police violence at Occupy Oakland. Not friggin' one of them. We need police officers, we need firefighters, we need veterans, we need mayors, we need city council people to join us. I truly, I truly in my heart believe that that most of you who are on the fence know that these tactics that you saw in Oakland happen that happened yesterday, I know you know those tactics are wrong. I know you know that the tactics are immoral. If you can look at the pictures, if you can look at the video of that young man who had his skull cracked open, if you can look at that and just shrug your shoulders if you can look at that, and in your conscience, if you can say that you're fine with that happening here in your country, hell, you shouldn't be fine with it anywhere, but you're fine with it happening here in America, in your country, if you are fine with that, I truly do not know what to say to you. Because here's the truth, it does not have to be this way. Hell, in Albany, New York, in Albany, New York, the Albany Police Department bravely, bravely refused to arrest and take down the Occupy Albany camp. Even though the Democratic mayor of Albany, even though the Democratic governor of Albany, Cuomo, told them to, they told them to take the camp down, and the police force said, no, we are not going to do that. In Orange County, California, which Orange County is crazy right-wing. It is crazy Republican, crazy right-wing. People last night in Orange County The Orange County City Council voted unanimously, unanimously to allow Occupy OC to stay. And they voted unanimously to affirm that a tent city is, is a protected form of free speech. A right-wing council member said, and this is a quote, I disagree with most of what you're saying, but you've clearly shown that this is an issue of free speech. So if you need to sleep on our lawn, by all means, sleep on our lawn. It doesn't have to be like it is in Oakland. It doesn't have to be like it is in Chicago or Atlanta or all these other places where where the police are cracking down. It does not have to be a war zone. Mayors, police departments, you can. You can treat these protesters with dignity and respect. It is, in fact, up to you. Because, you know, in Oakland, after all the brutality that's gone on the last day and a half, after all that brutality, even more people showed up. And you know what? After the next crackdown, after the next example of police violence, you know what? Even more people are going to show up. It does not have to be like that. The whole world is, in fact, watching.
10: Hey, Jay, this is Todd from the City of Angels in Occupy Los Angeles. I just wanted to give an activist call to action. Spent the weekend traveling to other occupies, I went to Occupy Irvine. Totally beautiful. At least 200 people camping in the heart of Orange County. And there was not a single cop in sight. I was on my way to San Diego, which has just undergone three waves of violent arrest. I saw the blood on the plaza of peaceful protesters. So I want to give a shout out to all your listeners, one, to get informed about what it's about, you know, because the lamestream media ain't, gonna, ain't telling the truth. You know, here in LA, we haven't made the front pages, even the California section, one time. And then one of the things I noticed down in San Diego is that either Occupy LA or Occupy San Diego or both were on the front page of all of their papers down there. Some of these groups that are getting cracked down by the police, they're in desperate need of some love and support. So... Even if you don't feel like camping out, man, come, come down, talk to us, hold the sign for a little bit on a street corner, you know, get some people to honk, and uh, please bring food and water, especially water. Water is needed for so many different things, from brushing your teeth to, you know, washing your face, drinking, cooking, everything. So uh, please get up off your couch and get down there. Go to Occupy Together. Dot org to uh, find out where there's a occupation near you. Thank you. Stay awesome.
9: Hi, Jay. This is Dominic from Castle Rock, Colorado, calling. And I don't have uh, too much to say other than just utter disappointment at the most recent Colorado elections. Uh, in Colorado, we recently uh, tried to get education funding through a tax raise, and um, you know, as a high school student. I can tell you that the education system in Colorado is really screwed up. you have got about 40 to 50 students per class, or per teacher, next year. Luckily I'm a senior, so I'll be going to college. But I really am just worried about the people who are following me through the education system because it's becoming really screwed up. In particular, our school district, Eccles County, has just been overrun by republicanism and it's really disappointing to see such great potential to be destroyed by conservatism and republicanism. I've just been really disappointed with uh, the leaders of this country and I think it's up to all of us to try to get these guys out of there. So, thanks a lot. Thanks for everything you do. Bye. Hey Jay, this is Colin from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a union laborer. And November 8th we have... uh, Issue 2 on the ballot, which is the referendum to get rid of Senate Bill 5, an attack on uh, public working employees' uh, unions rights. Um, now that we have people like Sarah Palin who have no vested interest or right, to really, to uh, get involved in Ohio politics, speaking out against it, and rallying for Issue 2, it would be great if you possibly did an episode on uh, you, you know, why unions matter today. It would be great to hear. I mean, you have a great show, and uh, I'd like to hear some more stuff about unions. Thanks.
17: Hey Jay, this is John in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm calling to make a comment about you had made a comment at the end of the last Occupy Wall Street show about how we are focusing on symptoms, or a lot of people focus on symptoms instead of the systemic issues, and how the Occupy Wall Street movement is getting to uh, the bottom of it with attacking the system instead of just the symptoms. And I just wanted to call and uh, and agree with that. But also uh recognizing that, you know, humans are very emotional creatures and a lot of times logic isn't the best way to get through a message. I think that the beauty of Yoccupy Wall Street is that it hits both those logic and uh, emotional, you know, circuits so to speak, where uh the symptoms hit on the emotions whereas the logic will reveal the systemic problems. Someone like myself who is, you know, relatively new to having my eyes opened and, and seeing things from different perspectives it's nice to be able to you know listen to a show like yours that you know is very funny and it hits you emotionally but it also uh, opens the logic uh, pathway and reveals these systemic problems so that was something that i noticed and thought i tossed that out there and it might also be a reason why a lot of the media is saying that there's disjointed message and there's no clear coherent message maybe they're not able to recognize that it is trying to hit people on both of those levels both the emotional and the logical which is revealing the problems with both the symptoms and the systems so that might be one of the reasons why they just can't recognize that there is a coherent message it's just that it's showing from two different angles so thank you very much for everything that you do keep up the great work
16: bye
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206 202 3410. So, when I sat down this morning to begin prepping this show, I had every intention of, of doing an episode about uh, the election, you know, the one that's not for another year. You know, I thought, well, I haven't done one in a while. I'm kind of due, and I got a bunch of clips I could, I could do that on. And then I started looking at those clips. And essentially, all of them just felt really uninteresting to me. And But then on top of that, about half of all of those clips were all about Herman Cain. And I just thought, like, oh, God, I'm so profoundly disinterested in him. I mean, okay, newsflash, an incredibly stupid person is running for president in the GOP primary. Who's surprised Can anyone raise your hand and say that that's a surprise to you? Like it's not news and he's not going to win. It's just like, it's so worthless. I can't believe so much energy is being spent on it. And so, so I canned it. I was like, all right, screw it. I got (laughs) to, I'll start from scratch and and, uh, come up with a new idea. And so I I started pulling together clips on Occupy Wall Street because this is the thing that seems important. (laughs) Honestly, like, people are actually doing stuff that could possibly actually matter. Real people are really getting out and they're really taking action and it needs to be talked about. So, you know, this is actually kind of reiterating uh something that was said on Citizen Radio. They they've been doing lots and lots of uh, coverage of uh, Occupy Wall Street and they basically said, you know, once once this movement really took off, it really just seemed out of place to talk about anything else because this is so important and by comparison everything else becomes so much less important so basically i just want to add my voice to that sentiment and here you go Occupy Wall Street episode and the next one will be too. So look forward to that. (laughs) Um, So before I go, I'm just going to thank a couple of members as I always do, of course. Uh, Amy H. signed up. uh, Oh, a couple of socialists today. Uh, Amy H. signed up for a socialist monthly membership back on June 2nd and has stuck with the show since then. And uh, Emile D., also signed up for a socialist membership but paid for a full year in advance. Uh, so thank you very much. Back on July 4th. So Amy and Emil both going a little bit above and beyond the uh, the minimum amount uh, for for a you know, paid membership just to help out the show a little bit more. So I especially appreciate them doing that. Uh, so thanks to uh, Amy, Emil, and all the members and donors who help keep the show going. I couldn't do without you guys. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, helping spread the uh, individual clips through your social networks. All that can be done through the show notes. You can stay tuned into the show by joining up with us directly on Facebook and Twitter. And you can even donate your Facebook and Twitter accounts to us to help us spread the word through you that way. It's all explained very clearly before you commit to anything.
8: Burning on a shining sheet, the only maker that you want to meet. A dying man in a living room, whose shadow bases the floor. He'll take you out.